0: Welcome to the DJE Podcast, where you will learn about real estate investing from real life examples. Here's your host, Devin Elder.
1: Hey there, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Our guest is John Brixon of McKinney Realty Capital. He joins us from Dallas, Texas, here in the studio to talk about the debt markets. What's going on with the debt markets? What's going on with the Fed hiking rates? the SOFR, rate caps, loan proceeds, kind of everything you want to know about what's happening in the debt markets right now. So this is going to be very valuable for those of you that are looking at deals right now or just want to learn more about how the debt markets operate. Uh, It's a great podcast I have with John. Before we jump in, a quick reminder, if you're not on the DJE investor list right now and you want to see our upcoming projects, you can go to DJETexas.com to check that out. And get added to our investor list we can send you case studies and get you connected with our team secondly if you're interested in becoming an operator you want to go out and buy and run your own apartment deals we set up apartmenteducators.com as a full one-stop shop ecosystem for that training education vendors get you plugged in with everything you need to uh, learn and do to go out and be an operator there's also a free eight-part video series there that i teach you can check that out at apartmenteducators.com all right, let's jump into the episode with John Brixen. Here we go. All right. Hey, John, welcome to the podcast. Good to see you. How are you? Hey, doing well. How are you doing? Good, good. Want to dive in on some of the debt market stuff, multifamily investing, all, all that. But before we do, for the audience, have a little background on, on you, you know, your, your background, how you end up getting to real estate. And then I do want to talk about your, you know, your company now,
0: but a little bit sure. of background. Yeah, so I'm, uh, I'm based in Dallas, uh, principal with McKinney Realty Capital, which is a group uh, I recently launched um, with my colleague, Henry Holt. And um, so I'm originally from Kansas City. Um, I've been in Dallas since 2014. I've uh, been in commercial real estate finance investing um, since 2011. So about 10 years now. Um, started my career at a large bank in Chicago yep. and uh, worked for a real estate private equity fund. In Dallas for three or four years and um, so I have some background as a lender um, on commercial real estate all property types and then in 2018 uh, moved into the broker side um, where I'm you know primarily arranging financing for multifamily properties um, largely throughout Texas yeah I'd say probably 75% of what I do is in Texas Uh, good amount in San Antonio good amount in DFW where I'm based and then um, work on some deals outside of Texas as well. So um, first quarter 2022, um, we first quarter and really second quarter 2022, we, we launched uh, McKinney Realty Capital. Excellent. Um, and so we're um, off to a great start. Um, you know, last 12 months been super busy. We've done uh, about, you know, 35 loans, 440 million in total volume. Excellent. Um, and so interesting time to be in the market, interesting time to start a new group, But uh, but we're excited.
1: Yeah, sure. I remember we started a property management group uh, like March of 2020. You know, yeah. it's like, it's perfect time to start right. a company. <laughs> yeah. But uh, it worked out. It's never, never 100% the perfect time. So yeah. just kind of dive in and do it. So that's excellent. Um, primarily multifamily, right? Like B, C value add stuff. Are you guys getting into, you know, all, more diverse product type?
0: Yeah. I mean, we, you know, I guess. The big reason we started um, McKinney Realty Capital and, and decided to go off on our own um, was because we, you know, ultimately want to grow and better serve our clients. And in order to do that, you really need to add staff. And right. when you're working with your own group, as, as you know, you know, it's a lot easier to hire if you're the one making decisions on hiring and you're the one budgeting for hiring and all that. And so, um, you know, we'd love to get more active on development and construction, on doing equity placement, other property types like self-storage, office, industrial, retail. Currently, what we're really doing is just as mostly multifamily, and it's largely because we've just been so busy with multifamily. Sure. I mean, really, um, it's it's Henry and I, and you know, Henry and I started working together um, April of 2021. Right. Really, since that time period, um, like I said, you know, we've done 35 loans, 440 million. So it's like we haven't even had time to even focus on the other property sure. types. Sure. And so, longer term, you know, r- for now, it's really just multifamily. That's our lane. That's our specialty. I think there's um, a lot of benefits to to having a niche and being super focused and specialized. But we would like to bring on uh, more analysts, underwriters, you know, closing coordinators that can help take some stuff off our plate. But then also um, bringing in some other brokers who, um, or just other professionals who. more experience on construction financing other property types etc sure sure yeah
1: expand out naturally into those over time with with resources yeah that you bring on yeah i love it um well let's talk about you know the topic of the day we're recording this mid-may 2022 and this will publish mid-may 2022 so let's talk about what's going on in the debt markets you know um the fed finally got off zero so you know that's big news i think the markets are pricing in uh interest rate expansion and yeah. you know that's obviously changing things but you know where do you, where do things sit from your perspective um you know at this particular point in time
0: yeah um you know it's it's definitely an interesting time in the market um you know interest rates have been on the on the rise you know both the shorter term rates you know, like SOFR, which is uh, what a lot of bridge loans and floating rate loans are based on. And will you
1: elaborate on a little, a little bit of maybe for some in the audience that aren't familiar with SOFR and what that is, how that works?
0: Sure. So, you know, and, and financing, commercial real estate financing, you have floating rate loans, which are really adjustable rate loans. Right. And so those loans are based on, you know, all the loans are really based on an index. So the index is going to be either for short term floating rate loans, it's, it's SOFR, For longer term fixed rate loans, it's primarily the 10 year treasury. And so loans will have, you know, the index plus the spread. And so for bridge loans, what we usually see is SOFR, which is the short term index, that's the secured overnight financing rate. Um, You know, it used to be, it used to be that all short uh, floating rate loans were based on LIBOR, but they've recently, um, the whole financial markets have transitioned away from LIBOR into SOFR. So, So SOFR is the short term rate um, it really adjusts every month and on a monthly basis and so floating rate loans are based on SOFR and SOFR for the last, you know, really since um, probably end of 2019, SOFR has been at zero and it was at zero for really most of the last 10 years since the great financial crisis. Sure. Fed policy has been to cut interest rates to zero, try to stimulate growth, try to stimulate more employment and actually try to stimulate inflation because for a long time, inflation was below 2%. Um, and we were actually at risk of having deflation. Um, right. And so the Fed was aggressively trying to stimulate the economy. And so they did that by cutting rates. And so when the Fed cuts rates, what's directly impacted are the short-term rates like SOFR. And so SOFR for a long time was anywhere from, you know, five basis points to, to 10 basis points. I and mean, it was almost yep, nothing. Effectively zero. I effect- mean, if you look at it, y- the impact on your interest payment. Yeah between zero
1: and five basis points, pretty nominal.
0: Right. I mean, it was just kind of a forgotten thought. And I think people didn't really think about interest rates. You know, if I take a floating rate loan, is there a risk that my interest rate is going to go higher or my mortgage is going to adjust? And so (laughs) what we're seeing now is um, on these floating rate loans, the Fed is going into hiking mode. So their first hike was back in March. They went 25 basis points. They just announced another hike uh, in May. That was 50 basis points, there's a good chance they'll hike again in June, 50 basis points, and why are they doing that? They're doing it to slow down inflation, right. and they're really trying to you know, take inflation right. They actually just had, um, the April print was announced this morning, um, I think they were expecting 8.5 percent. It came in at 8.3 percent. Right, so that's good. CPI pr- yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: With, with maybe some adjustments to automobiles. Right, exactly. But that's how they do it.
0: Yeah, yeah, I know. And it's it's like, what does it what does it really mean? What is it or, really? yeah. But it sounds like it's hopefully it's flattening out. Um. So, but but either way, the Fed has basically made it clear that our number one priority is to slow down inflation. Secondarily, like we don't really care, you know, asset prices, the stock market. That's right. not really our problem. Like, our main, our main concern here is just getting inflation under control. Sure. And so, whenever the Fed goes to hike the short-term rates, the Fed funds rate, which is really the cost that the Fed charges other banks to borrow, that impacts SOFR more directly. And right. so, we've seen SOFR go from, you know, five basis points, and they're saying that by the end of this year, it could be up to 2.5 to 2.75. Early 23, it could be, you know, above 3 and so going back to fixed first floating rate loans, if you had a floating rate loan and your interest rate was SOFR plus 3.5%, your rate was effectively 3.5% earlier this year, but right. now with SOFR g- increasing, it could go up to 6.5% if SOFR increases the 3%. And you know, obviously you could have a SOFR cap as well, and that's a different conversation. And we can talk about SOFR caps as well and how that's sure. impacted things. But that's the SOFR side of things. And on the the fixed rate side of things, um, the, the longer term Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac financing, that's really based on the 10-year treasury. And the 10-year treasury in 2020, there was a period where it was down as low as uh, 50 basis points. Right. So lowest level it had ever been at. Um, you know, probably twelve within the last twelve months, it's probably been around one to one point five percent, probably close to one point five. I don't have a chart in front of me, so I don't know. Sure, sure. not that good on off the top of my head where the ten year <laughs> treasury was. Yeah, yeah, but it was a hell of a lot lower than it is today. And sure. So now it's now it's at three percent, um, and you know where that goes, who knows? But the ten year treasury is important because it you know that really is what drives uh, Fannie and Freddie. Yep. But then that also has a big impact on cap rates, and you know interest rates really drive values on all different types of assets whether it's stocks bonds uh venture capital private equity sure crypto i don't know about i'm not yeah, i'm wild not that card. smart it's yeah wild card, yeah but um but definitely real estate it has an impact on on values and so you know f- on the lending side how the rise in interest rates is, is having an impact on things is you know obviously with with the interest rates so interest rates have have gone higher for for fannie and freddie sure and then I'll for bridge loans as well um, but then also for underwriting and just credit and how the lenders are are underwriting these loans how they're looking at these loans and so you know we've been doing a lot of bridge loans over the last 18 to 24 months and for a long time what the lender was really trying to solve for is that by year three the metric that lenders that bridge lenders really look at is they look at what's called the debt yield right the debt yield is the NOI divided by the loan amount and for a long time, or not for a long time, but for the last you know couple of years, what they were really targeting was that by year three, we'd be at a uh, 7.5 debt yield mm-hmm. on your pro forma. So you go in, you spend 7,500 per unit in CapEx, you increase cash flows, you improve operations, you increase other income, and by year three, you've increased the NOI so that your debt yield has gone from maybe it was 4.5% or 5% um, when you bought the property, but you've increased cash flow, you've increased value, and now the debt yield 7.5%. Right. And they targeted 7.5% because at that level, when Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac's rates were you know 35 to 4%, the, the lender felt confident that you'd be able to get the property either refied and take, uh, take them out at year three or sell the property and pay them back. And so what we're seeing now is that, you know, I think lenders are looking a lot more for higher debt yields by year three. So sure. they used to be okay with a 750 debt yield. Maybe now they want to see an 8.5% debt yield because now that Fannie and Freddie rates are 4.5% to 5%, um, well now you need really an 850 debt yield maybe to, to get taken out right um, at par. And so that's kind of what we're seeing on the credit side. Um, You know, the good news is, is lenders are still lending. They still want to lend on multifamily that they still view it as the best property type out there. Right. Uh, They still want exposure to the space. But, you know, I think, I think, you know, a lot of people were getting 80% loan to cost um, over the last couple of years. I think 75% is the new 80. Sure. And it probably stays that way um, until, you know, there's some relief on purchase prices and values. Prices come down a little bit. Cap rates increase a little bit and then maybe we 80% becomes more common. Um, you know, I'm doing an 80% loan right now, so it's, it's not impossible. Sure. Um, but it's just not it's just not as common as it was. Yep, yeah, makes sense. Well, appreciate the overview on that.
1: What are your buyers doing right now as they're coming to the table with offers or, you know, the conversation I'm having with the brokers is the broker representing the seller BOV'd something at 35 million six weeks ago, and then the debt markets shift they've got to go back to their seller and say you know hey 30 million is the new 35 million and we're getting offers sub 30 million whatever the case is um, how are your buyers kind of approaching the the acquisitions given
0: the you know scenario we're in yeah I mean I would say um, you know they're not doing a whole lot different from what they were doing yep. before or interest rates started increasing um, you know I think people are being a little bit more conservative on their underwriting, um, you know, especially with like their exit cap rates, right. You know, you might, you might underwrite a 5% or a 525 exit cap. Now you're probably underwriting a 575 to a 6% exit cap rate. Right. Um, you know, the other thing that we're seeing that's, that's a lot different is, you know, for 10 million and below, we're doing almost all our, our bank loans. Interesting, and we really like bank loans because the, the benefits of bank loans is a lot of times the interest rates fixed. So we see, you know, for the most part, four point seven five to five point two five percent fixed. Sometimes a little bit tighter than that, depending on the deal, sponsor, market, etc. But um, four point seven five percent fixed right now is you know is a pretty good deal. Sure, um, you still have that open, flexible prepay um, with banks. Love it. Yeah, um like know, a one point exit or something like that yeah like a yeah. one point exit so you can get in and out That's or you huge. can or you can you can hold on to it and have fixed rate you usually are getting a five-year term instead of like a three plus one plus one so right. you have a little bit more runway um you know you can get a couple years of interest only you can go up to 75 percent ltc uh, there's no sofa cap cost so sofa caps are two percent of the loan amount now and, and you know this is what we're seeing huge, yeah on a lot of these yeah. um you know if you are buying a sofa cap or if you're required to buy one so you don't have that. Uh, lender legal on bank loans is a lot lower than lender legal for some of these these bridge loans. I mean, sure. not uncommon for lender legal to, to be you know forty five to fifty thousand dollars, um, which is you can stomach for a fifteen million dollar loan or a twenty million dollar loan. But it gets tougher when you're doing a seven or eight million dollar loan. That's right. So there's a lot of benefits um, on these bank loans, and th- the biggest drawback is that it's it's a recourse loan, uh, meaning you know you're having to sign a personal guarantee. Sure. Whereas you know the bridge loans and Fannie and Freddie, those loans are, are non-recourse, which is you know obviously a, a good way to protect your downside risk uh, as an investor. But that's that's really the only drawback is that you know they're they're recourse, um, they're probably not going to eighty percent. I mean maybe they will on 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 some cases, but. So we're seeing a lot of bank loans um, in the one to ten million dollar space and then for the larger loans um, you know people are getting creative with their they're hedging interest rates so you know SOFR caps basically so what those are um, so SOFR caps what what that is is it basically puts a lid on how much SOFR can increase um, during the time uh, during the, the term of the loan so most bridge lenders will require the borrower to buy, you know, a two or three year SOFR cap. So for instance, you might buy a two year SOFR cap with a 2% strike rate. And what that would mean is if you had a bridge loan that was 3.5% uh, over SOFR, um, the highest your interest rate could go to would be 2% because you have a 2% strike yep. plus 3.5%. So 5.5% is the highest your rate could go during that two year period. And so, you know, with SOFR caps, there's kind of, there's two different things that really drive the cost of those, those caps. It's, well, I mean, there's other variables outside of that, but two variables that you can really control as the borrower or as the SOFR cap purchaser are number one, the strike rate. So the lower the strike rate, which is, you know, the, the lower the ceiling on your hedge, um, the more expensive the cost. Sure. And then the longer the term, the more expensive the cost of that SOFR cap, because you're just, you're buying more insurance or longer term insurance and so what we've been seeing is you know originally we were buying three-year caps with like a one percent strike and the sofa curve which basically means what people are projecting sofa to go to was just flat i mean one yep p- people thought we'd be at zero percent yeah you know, forever
1: you could get a sofa cap for 20 grand yeah exactly
0: yep. i mean you could get sofa cap for you know 30 basis points 25 basis points the loan amount and you get a three-year cap with a pretty you know tight strike rate well, now, you know, it's a two-year cap, you get a 2% um, strike in year one, maybe a 275 strike in year two, it's still going to cost, you know, 2% of the loan amount, or maybe even, maybe even a little bit more than that. And so what people have been doing is, um, you know, we're seeing people buy 12 month SOFR caps or asking the lender if they can buy a 12 month cap and just do kind of a rolling cap purchase each each year, which, right. you know, the benefit is your, your, your premium and the cost of that cap is lower. But you're exposed where, you know, at the end of year one, you've got to buy another cap. At the end of year two, you need to buy another cap. And then on top of that, the lender is going to require you to escrow for the purchase of that next cap. Right. So, you know, that's a little bit of a drawback. Um, There's some people who've actually gone the opposite way where they're actually buying a three-year cap. They're buying it with lower strike. And then they're actually rolling – the cost of that into the loan interesting and the lenders like that because right. they say well they're hedging their interest rate risk and i mean the problem with that strategy though is like okay that takes care of your debt service during the first three years but then what happens if at the end of three years you know interest rates are still let's say so for still at three and a half percent? well obviously cap rates have gone out at that point so that's just something else to, to be mindful f- of, you know, is that, you know, you have to think about your exit caps and how you're underwriting. So, you know, it's doing that. And then the other thing too, is just, um, you know, we're seeing interest reserves are becoming a lot more common. So, you know, on the bridge side or across all of it, uh, on the bridge side. Yeah. yeah, Primarily. Um, because if you're buying a property and you know, we talked about debt yields, so NOI divided by the loan amount. So if you're buying a property and you're going in debt yield is 4% and then your interest rate is SOFR plus four where interest rates 5% at close and it's supposed to be increasing between now and the end of the year. Well, now you're in a situation where your NOI is less than your debt uh, your, your, you know, your, your debt service, I guess. So, I mean, you're, you're basically underwater. You're at a sub one Oh, uh, interest coverage day one, right. Which, you know, can be okay, but you just have to have funds set aside. Yep. Got to, to have a to cover, Yeah. Yep. Have reserves. So we're yep. seeing interest reserves, uh, are becoming more common. Right. Uh, things of that nature.
1: Yeah. It makes sense. I mean, it's definitely a headwind, uh, or a tailwind, a uh, headwind rather. And you know, the, the tailwind is kind of the rent growth story, mm-hmm. right. And depending, I mean, you're doing a lot of Texas stuff, so, Um, that doesn't seem to be abating, right? I mean, rent growth, population growth, all that stuff still seems pretty strong. And it's kind of a matter of like, well, how, how hot can we underwrite these rent, this rent growth into the future? We might've seen 10%. You can't underwrite 10%, you know, right forward. But what are you seeing on kind of on the
0: rent growth piece? Yeah. Um, and that, that is like the, that's the, the, the million dollar question right there is the rent growth, because you know, that's, that's one thing that could bail us out. Uh, that really is what would bail us out of this whole thing is, is if right. we get really good rent growth and continue to see really good rent growth. And you know, if, if rent growth can outpace cap rate expansion, then we'll actually see appreciation on multifamily. Right. If rent growth does not outpace cap rate expansion, then we can see, you know, some depreciation or kind of flatlining on values. And so, you know, what, what people are underwriting for rent growth, um, You know, it's um, I think for 2021, what we saw was there was all this pent up demand because there were so many, you know, kind of across the board, people weren't increasing rents during 2020. Sure. And so you you had that coupled with, you know, just this massive surge in population um, in a lot of these Texas markets and just growth and job growth and and wage growth and so limited supply yeah and so 2021 there's you know you could underwrite really 10 percent rent growth year one i mean most lenders aren't going to sign off on that kind of rent growth sure. but it wasn't an unreasonable assumption so i think what people are looking at is um you know projected rent growth for for year one it's obviously market dependent but what i see a lot of in kind of the, the larger texas markets like dfw and, and san antonio um, you know four to five percent for year one and then three percent for year two and year three but then what people are also looking at too is um, all the rent comps in the sub market and you know I have a one bedroom running for 900 on this property what's every what are all the other one bedrooms that were built during the same vintage in my sub market you know where are they running at because you can always find one person or one group, one property. That's just an outlier right. and they're getting 1200 a month or right. thirteen hundred a month. And then they're getting, you know, 5% organic rent growth, you know, beyond that. And so um, I would just say, you know, overall for borrowers and, and for, for owners right now, the most important thing for the next three years is going to be just operations yes, and making sure you're, you're investing capex, you're laser focused on, Growing, growing rents, growing other income. You know, managing expenses as much as you can. Obviously, it's a challenge. Sure. But, um, you know, we're we're at a point now where I think the last hiking uh, cycle really took place between twenty sixteen and uh, twenty nineteen or so, um, and that that during that period, the Fed was hiking twenty five basis points each quarter. And what people could fall back on back then was, you know, a lot of owners had Fannie Mae. Uh, or Freddie fixed rate loans yep. on their property, and so if operations weren't great or if rent growth wasn't great, or they're kind of missing the mark, yeah, you, know, you have ten years to figure it out. Um, with bridge loans, you know, you've got three years; um, it's a three-year maturity, and you know, a lot of times people are financing with with eighty percent, and so you know, there's there's not as much margin for error this time around. But right. the tailwind is that there's huge rent growth, and another the other thing too is that housing affordability has now gotten even more less affordable because now mortgage rates are, you know, f- above 5%. Yeah, your single-family purchase ability yeah.
1: is, is slipping out of reach for some people with with rates going to 5+, plus
0: whatever, on yeah. single-family. So, I mean, there's still a huge shortage of uh, rental properties and rental units and just affordable housing across the board, and even, even a non-affordable housing. I mean, even if you want to buy a, a really nice – single family home, like those are hard to come across. So I right. mean, there's shortages off the board for, for housing. And so it's, um, it's, it's a good place to hide out for sure. And yeah. Yeah, that's right.
1: I mean, it's, there's, I remember a couple of years ago w- at one of our nicer properties, um, we were losing tenants to, cause they're buying houses. Yeah. Rates were so good. Uh, it was still sufficiently difficult, I think, to get a loan a- as it should be. We don't want to repeat a 2008 and, and all that silliness. Should be hard to get a loan. But the rates were so good and, you know, that person that was kind of at the upper tier of our clientele for that apartment community was like, Hey, yeah, I can buy a house for, for this. And so we, that was kind of a struggle that was a few years ago. Now it's kind of sw- the pendulum swung the other way and we're seeing people kind of come back into multifamily as renters that uh, may have been buyers. So yeah, it, puts it out of the reach a little
0: bit. I mean, I could say, you know, multifamily during the, ni- the 90s and the 2000s, but especially during the 2000s, was completely different from where it has been over the last 10 years, and that's why you saw such a huge run-up is because you know, from 2000, 2008, um, I mean, you could get anyone with a pulse could get a mortgage, oh yeah. and home prices only went up, and if you didn't go and buy a home, you're just a sucker because right. why wasn't I? No why money down, you? and my, my home's going to be worth more in two years and so pretty much everybody was just going to buy homes and it was really leaving uh, multi-family properties with kind of the the worst demographics the lowest income sure the lowest rents you know all that and so we just had this this kind of spring where you know 2011-12 um, you know nobody was buying homes and so everyone was renting and it's still you know it's still not as easy to qualify for a mortgage and now it's more expensive and so what that means for multifamily is just that you're you're still going to have a lot of demand for rentals. Um, yep, which is which is a positive.
1: Yeah, that's right,
0: that's right. And the, the supply shortage because of what happened
1: after 2008, that next decade was just underbuilt. Yeah, it's gonna take a, it's gonna take everybody a while to crawl out of that hole and get supply up to meet demand. So yeah. that's good. Um, well, awesome, John. Thanks for joining. Thanks for sharing your thoughts on the ever-evolving debt markets. An Interesting time to be a buyer, but it always is. There's always something going on. Yeah, and look, uh, cycles
0: are healthy. Like absolutely, you have to yep. go through ups and downs. I'm not saying it's going to be a big down cycle. Yep. but it's just it, it, we can't have 2021 every year.
1: Yeah, that's right. You know, that's right. And I, you know, I talk to a lot of folks, and I say we, we're always ha- we always have headwinds, always have tailwinds. They're changing. Whether it's taxes, insurance, whatever, there's always something that's that's hurting us and there's always something that's helping us simultaneously. So you just gotta kinda navigate it, build a good team and go out and get, get deals done.
0: Yeah. Um, if somebody wants to learn more about your firm, how can they connect with you guys? Yeah, so you can go to our website, it's uh, McKinney, mckinneyr Um Or you can email me, it's jbrikson at mckinneyrc.com.
1: Excellent, well, we'll link to that in the show notes. If you're listening, you can just click the link and, and visit John and his team. John, thanks so much. It was a pleasure. All right. Thank you. All right.
0: Thank you for listening to the DJE Podcast. For more information, please go to djetexas.com.